This podcast is brought to you by Living Waters Church, Kyabram. You can visit us at www.lwkyabram.com. It costs money to run this place today. It doesn't just happen and, and you know, I, I don't know whether you've ever walked into McDonald's and say, said, I, I want what you have, but I don't want to pay. They, they will probably go to you, what? Now, just for example, and I, I might, I don't know whether I'll share about some of this at our AGM or not, but our insurance bill this year, woohoo, what an exciting insurance bill we got this year. It was like, oh my goodness, what happened? When I first started pastoring, the first insurance bill I paid was like $800. And that was for the whole year. That was lock, stock and barrel for everything. What was it, about 20 grand or 25 grand this year? 20? 20 grand just for insurance this year. You might say, that's ridiculous, Pastor Trevor. I thought so too when I saw the bill. And the thing I've learned about insurance is it's ridiculous until you need it. And then it's not so ridiculous anymore. <laughs> and, and so we need to understand that the church not only needs money, And I'm not preaching a sermon this morning to try and weasel money out of you today because hopefully if you spent any amount of time um, around living waters, you will know that I don't actually speak about money a real lot. You know, it's not something, and some churches go through the process where it's like every week they will have a giving offering message and that sort of stuff. I, I don't see anything wrong with that. Honestly, if churches want to do that, if pastors want to do that, that's fine, that's up for them. But, you know, I don't think we need to because the Bible, and we're going to look at it a little bit later, where the Bible says that if we're faithful with what he puts in our hand, if we're good stewards with what he puts in his hand, there will come an increase automatically, not because of even the sowing and reaping principle, but because it's a principle in the kingdom of God that when you're a good steward, there's actually an increase that comes naturally. And so that is why this, um, not this year, but the year before, when we had the opportunity as a church to join in with the JobKeeper program, I really felt the Holy Spirit say to me, don't do it. Why did I feel he say, don't do it? Because he said this, he says, who are you going to become reliant on in this moment of crisis in the world? Are you going to become reliant on a government handout or are you going to trust me for the income that we need? And you can actually see in our financial statements, yes, our offerings dropped a little bit, um, last year, but you know what? Not enough to affect us. You know, not enough to affect us, and financially, we're in a great place as a church, really. And, and so, you know, I think that that principle rings true. But in saying that, the Bible has some interesting things to say about giving, about tithing, and the way we should do that. So, I'm going to look at some questions. Is it okay if I ask you some questions um, this morning? So, the first question I'm going to look at is the question of ownership. Because I think when it comes to giving, the first question, if you're taking notes, you might want to put this as a point, number one, the question of ownership. Because I think when it comes to us giving and us holding on to things and us releasing things, I think the reason we have trouble sometimes letting go is because of the ownership question in our life. And when we settle the ownership question in our life, and when it comes to not just finances, but when it comes to things like gifts, when it comes to things like possessions, when it comes to things like, you know, um, different areas of our life, you know, our our spiritual gifts, um, you know, our family, our time, our grace, our forgiveness, and all those sorts of things, when we understand the ownership issue of those things, it makes it easier to make decisions. So first of all, let's turn to Psalm Uh, 24. Got a lot of scripture today. So are you ready? 
I won't apologize for using scripture when I preach. I won't do that. Yeah. Because honestly, in the natural, I've got some stuff to say, but compared to the spiritual, it's pretty weak, really. <laughs> so in Psalm 24, verse 1, it says, The earth is the Lord's, everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. Let's just pause there for a moment and think about what I just read. In actual fact, I'll read it again because some of you are still flicking. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. When we understand the ownership factor, see, God owns everything. It's his. He is the creator. In our world today, we have things called patents or patents. And basically what that is, if you create an invention, if you create an invention, what happens is you can apply to get your invention patented, which means no one else can copy it. It becomes yours. You have ownership of it. In our world today, we have copyright laws. And the copyright laws are really interesting because I can write a song and it automatically becomes my song. Now, if I'm singing my song one day and you hear it and you go, I like that song, and you copy it and you produce it, what happens is you don't own the song. Even if I haven't applied for the copyright stuff, my intellectual property automatically becomes mine in the world we live. And so all I have to do is prove that I wrote the song first, which is why in our music industry there's all sorts of little bickerings and fights and debates going on because the way our music is written, it is written because, you know, what, the piano has 88 keys on a normal piano, and so that's broken up into 12 octaves, is it? Oh, look at that. Music Theory 101. And so there's only a range. If you write a song in G, there's only so many chords that will go with that. Otherwise, you're playing jazz. <laughs> the musos know what I'm saying. <laughs> and so there's this moment where it's like, after a while, it all sounds the same. And I was listening to a podcast the other day, and what they were doing was they were getting some of the popular songs and they were playing the popular songs and then they would play another popular song over it and you couldn't tell the difference. And they got to a point where they stripped out all the music and put the singing from one song over the music of another song and it was exactly the same. And I thought, man, if these people are listening to this, there's a court case waiting to happen because someone owns it. The original creator owns what he's created. Can I encourage you that God, as our creator, he owns everything. And I love the way Psalms puts it, the earth is the Lord's, everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. So out of that, we can see that there's a universal ownership that God has of everything. It's all his. Let's go to Haggai chapter 2. If you don't know where Haggai is, then just hang on because I'm only going to read one verse. And if you do know where Haggai is, look it up, find it and go, I found it, look at me. So Haggai chapter 2, verse 8 God says, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of heaven's army. So, again, through the prophet Haggai, the prophet Haggai, basically what God is saying, that all the resources, all the financial resources, actually belongs to God. And so when in my life, because I'll talk about me personally, because I can't make you do anything, I can't cause you to believe, so I'm just going to talk about me, 
uh, this morning. So when I understand that even my finances belong to him, then those decisions when he requires some of those finances that he's allowed me to have, then those decisions become a lot easier. Now, it's not always easier. I think, I sh- was it last Sunday morning I shared about my guitar struggle? Yeah. You know, people came up to me after and said, oh, I bet you God provided a really nice guitar after you gave it away. No, he didn't. I went a number of years without a guitar and then I went and brought a really cheap guitar that I've never been happy with since the day I brought it. And you might say, well, why would God do that? I don't know. Maybe I was learning a lesson in that to be content in all things. Well, this last holiday I actually brought a really nice guitar and finally I got the really nice guitar that I've been wanting all these years. And so eventually, if you just keep hanging in there, it will happen. So the financial ownership belongs to God. Even the animal kingdom belongs to him. That's why you've got to look after your little kitty cats. That's why you've got to look after the creation. You know, honestly, church, God put Adam and Eve in creation and he said, look after it. And so that's why we have to look after the thing. And so in Psalm 50 verses 10 and 11, it says this, all the animals of the forest are mine and I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird on the mountain, all of the animals of the field are mine. Can I just speak to farmers and people who look after animals, vets? You know, what a privilege. We get to care for God's animals. We get to look after God's animals. We get to treat them with respect. Why? Because they don't belong to us ultimately. They actually belong to the Lord. And so when we think about giving and when we think about finances, there are actually some harsh words written in the book of Malachi about attitudes towards giving. And sadly, if we're not careful, because of the harshness of the words and the way it's written, we can actually miss the truth that has been given. Now, if you're anything like me, you will know that that moment when you're being told off, there's a part of you that shuts off, isn't there? I know there is for me, where it's like, you know, the moment where it's like there's an issue comes up and someone is telling you about something that you're being basically told off, if we're not careful, what we hear can be interesting because what we often hear are the words of the bad person, naughty person, rah, 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 instead of the result and instead of the discipline side of it that might come out after. And so when it comes to the book of Malachi, if we're not careful, we can actually have that attitude that when we hear the words, we actually hear it from, a, from the point of view of our heart being hurt and a scar in our life, instead of actually hearing what God is saying. And so in Malachi chapter 3, let's turn there. You might say, this is Old Testament, Pastor Trevor. That's correct. You found it. Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through to 12. Should people cheat God? Question mark. Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of tithes and offerings due to me. Notice the language here. God is saying this, that tithes and offerings are due to him. You are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord, the 
heaven, the Lord of heaven's armies. I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it, put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. I love what it says there. In, I, I don't like the bit where it says he's challenging the people where he's saying, well, hang on, you're robbing me. You're withholding what is due to him. So this is what I love about God, is he allows us to do what we like with the 90%, still be good stewards, but he only requires the 10 so that the house can continue, so that the house can be ongoing. You know, when we were in um, Sri Lanka at the offering time, it was a beautiful moment because I'm standing there and I saw these farmers bringing bags of rice and putting it down the front. They didn't have cash to give, but they had produce to give, and so they were giving out of their first fruits. They were giving out of what they were able to give. And so we need to understand that God, I think it's a principle and some people will try and argue with me, and that's, you can do that, about how tithing is Old Testament. I actually think tithing is pre-law, in the law, and after the law. I mean, 400 years before the law was even written, Abraham was tithing to Melchizedek. And then in the law, you see it's very plain. And then after the law, in actual fact, let's read it. Let's read the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 23. Because I don't think it's an issue about the tithe, it's an issue about our heart. And that's why it's so good to see little ones cheerfully given. Because it's about our heart. That's why I've entitled my message about giving today, I am content. And we're going to look at it in a moment where Jesus says, you know, each man should in his heart make up his mind what he wants to give and be content with that. Because it's not a competition. If we're not careful, in actual fact, in Rushworth this afternoon, I'm going to be speaking about the widow's offering and about how she only had a couple of little copper coins. And, you know, it's like, and these businessmen, they were chucking checks in. And, And Jesus is watching going, yeah, whatever. Whatever, when the businessman chucked the check in, he's sitting there going, yeah, whatever. Because they were giving out of their surplus. They were giving, it wasn't affecting their life. But this woman gives these two copper coins and all of a sudden he goes, now that's a giver. That's the heart of a giver. Because it's not about the amount, it's about our heart. I have a secret desire in my life that I want to walk into some little church and have $10,000 cash in my hand and put it in their offering. You know, some little tiny church somewhere and, and, you know, God put that on my heart a number of years ago and so I reckon I will get to do it one day. But I want to, I want to be around the offering counting room when that happens. <laughs> just to be a blessing. Just to be a blessing. So Matthew chapter 23, uh, uh, verse 23 and 24. What sorrow awakes you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you, are, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income of your herb gardens, but you ignore the more, more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Let's just pause there for a moment because what Jesus is saying is in their religious efforts, they were tithing even on their mint and on their herbs. And so there's this moment where it's like Jesus is saying, what are you doing? Because you've got this area of your life sorted out, You've got this area of your life that you're doing, but you're neglecting the more important areas of the law, 
more important areas of the kingdom. And so he goes on to say this, you should tithe, this is the New Living Translation, says you should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Verse uh, 24, blind gods, you strain your water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat, but you swallow a camel. So there's this moment where Jesus is saying this to the Pharisees of the time, it's like your heart is so bent on trying to do the right thing in this area, but in actual fact, you're neglecting the more important areas, justice, mercy, and those sorts of things, and faith. He says, justice, mercy, and faith. So we need to understand that the question of ownership comes down to who owns what. And in my life, I've settled the question that God owns it all. He owns it all, and so therefore when he requires some, it's okay. So the next question then is once we've settled the question of ownership, we have to settle the question of stewardship because we are given things to be good stewards with. I have always viewed my kids, my children, that we've been blessed with. I've got four wonderful kids, and I've always viewed them as God's children. And we are blessed to be able to steward them, to be able to teach them, to be able to show them a way to live, but ultimately, they are the Lord's. Now, one of my kids, and this hasn't happened yet, it might happen one day, I don't know whether it will or not, but they came to me and they said this, they basically, they, they have a heart for Asia and it's my daughter, Lauren. And so her uh, work situation is she works in interior design or design. And so she said to me at one point in her life that she was interested in doing disaster design. And I went to her, what is disaster design? Because uh, it, that doesn't sound good. Often when I design things, it's a disaster. But she says, I want to do a master's in disaster design. And I had to say to her, that's wonderful, honey, what's disaster design? And so basically what disaster design is, is when there has been a catastrophic event somewhere and communities have been wiped out, someone who specialises in disaster design goes into that community and rebuilds the community, puts design stuff and puts it back together, makes it better than what it was, and all that sort of stuff, stuff like Katrina was saying the other week with um, Cyclone Ida. You know, 80, 85% of Beira wiped out. Well, disaster design people would have walked in there and said, okay, let's make this better. Let's, let's redesign this. Let's, let's do this. It's not designing the disaster. It's actually fixing things up after the design. Soon as she said it, I went, I don't want you to go. You to leave? I like the fact that they live two hours from me. It's far enough, but it's close enough if you know what I mean, parents. It's far enough that they're not just dropping in and eating all the food out of my fridge, but it's also close enough that some Sunday afternoons after church, we jump in the car, we drive down, we have dinner in Melbourne, and then we drive home. It's close enough to do that. And so, you know, the me in me is going, I don't want you to move to Asia. I don't want you to go and live in Vietnam because that's a little bit far to go for a meal. And yet... There's that little bit in me that's going, you know what? She doesn't belong to me. She actually belongs to the Lord. And if that's part of her plan, and if that's part of her life, if that's part of the destiny that God's put in her life, guess what? I'm going to champion it. I'm going to help her get there. I'm I'm going to champion the cause um, in, in that moment. So the question is, yes, ownership, but also what are we doing with what God places in our hand? 
Let's go to Matthew 24, uh, 25, sorry. Matthew 25. Where'd the time go? I am not going to get through this message, but that's okay. Let's see how we go. I won't preach it next week because George will be here. So Matthew 25, verse 14 onwards, says, Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He calls together his servants and entrusts his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, one bag of silver to the last, dividing it proportionally to their ability. He, um, he then left on his trip. The servant who received five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant who, with two bags of silver, went also worked and earned two more. But the servant who received one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and he called them to give account of how they'd used his money. The servant who, uh, to whom he'd entrusted five bags of silver came forward with five more. And the master said, you, you gave me five bags of silver to... Uh, master, sorry. Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest. I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest. I've earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate. So just pause there for a moment because the thing I love about God is he didn't give more celebration and more praise to the one who had the five as to the two. He actually saw it the same. The words were exactly the same. Guess what? You've done this. And so, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's celebrate. Verse 24, then the servant with one bag of silver came forward. Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops um, you did not plant and gathering crops you did not cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant, if you knew I harvested crops, I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate. Why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least you could have gotten some interest on it. And then, uh, then he ordered, the, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. To those uh, who use well what, are given, uh, what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But those who do nothing, even the little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, often when we read this parable, because, you know, the old King James talks about the word talent instead of money, and we often speak about this parable in the, um, with, with the view of using the talents that God has given us. But realistically, in this parable, he's talking about money. That's what he's talking about. And it's just sad that, you know, in our Western world, the word talent doesn't mean money because otherwise when we would preach this, we would talk about money more. But I think it stretches even beyond money because you are given many things in the kingdom of God. You are given gifts and abilities. You are given talents. You are given finances. And so here is a principle 
in the kingdom of heaven is we need to be good stewards. What does it mean to be a good steward? It means you take what God has given you and you're faithful with that. And I love what God says. He says this, he says, when you're faithful with a little, more will be added. When you're faithful with a little, then more will be added to that little. In actual fact, there's another scripture in the Bible, and I don't have it here today, but you can look it up when you get home, where he says he actually gives seed to the sower. It doesn't say he gives seed to those who sit around and do nothing. He actually gives seed to the sower. And as we're willing to sow, seed comes. So in Malachi, I think the number one principle in the book of Malachi shouldn't be seen as it's the tithing book. I actually think what we should do when we read the book of Malachi, we should read it through the lens of a word called honour. Because if you read the whole book of Malachi, you will see the context of it is not about money. Money was one of the issues that the church of the day was facing, but it's about honour. And so basically the whole book of Malachi is written about the fact that the church was dishonouring God by the way they were behaving and the way they were giving. Malachi chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, I'll read it for you. The Lord of heaven's armies says to the priest a son honors his father and a priest respects his uh, and sorry i'm going to read that again a son honors his father and a servant respects his master if i am your father and master where are the honor and respect i deserve you have shown contempt for my name but you ask how have we shown contempt for your name you have shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar Then you ask, how have we defiled the sacrifices? You defile them by saying the altar of the Lord deserves no respect. And so the book of Malachi isn't so much a book about giving and tithing as it's about our heart in the process of doing that. Proverbs chapter 3 verses 9 and 10 says this. So this is Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honour the Lord with your wealth and with the best parts of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. See, again, this principle of when we're good stewards, there's an overflow that happens with that. So the last question, I've got a few other questions, but the last one we're going to look at this morning, because I think it's the pivotal question, is it's a question of trust. What do we trust? See, if God says this, if God says in the book of Malachi, chapter 3, that you can test him in it when it comes to tithing and offering. If he says things like this in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, we know it well, trust the Lord with all your heart, don't depend or lean on your own understanding. When we understand that, when we understand who God is, when we understand that God loves us passionately, when we understand he's a good father and he's willing to give us good things, then really when it comes to our finances, when it comes to our stewardship, when it comes to those things in our life, whether it's our kids, whether it's our possessions, whether it's our finances, whether it's our talents, whether it's our spiritual gifts, it actually comes down to the point of do we trust him? Is he God or isn't he God? Is he God and he doesn't lie or is he just a man and he does lie? See, Matthew chapter 6, verse 23, Jesus says these words. Seek first the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously and I will give you everything you need. 
So when we trust God and when we understand that he's not a man that he should lie, when he says things like this, seek first the kingdom of God above everything else, live righteously, because there's the key in there too, because sometimes I hear people say things like this, no, you just need to seek first the kingdom of God. The whole scripture is this, seek first the kingdom of God above all else, live righteously and I will give you everything you need. Now, a few weeks ago, and I've spoken about it a couple of times because it hurt, when I had my lures stolen out of my car, I actually went back to God and I said, hey God, this isn't fair. Your word declares that if I tithe and if I'm a good steward, that you will keep the locusts from devouring my lures. That's what I said to him. And we had a very frank conversation. We had a very frank conversation. And he said this to me, are you going to trust me in this? Are you going to trust me in this? And I went, I don't know, God, am I? I feel like I've been ripped off here. I actually felt like your word says one thing, but I'm experiencing another thing. Because it wasn't just lures I lost that day. I lost a whole stack of stuff. And the more I dug into it, the worse it became. And I said to Pastor Lynette in the end, I'm going to stop looking at things I've lost because this is adding up quick. And so there was that moment. And, but when it came to lures, what I did was I started to restock my lures. And I came to the conclusion, I had lures that I have never used in that box of lures. I had things that I didn't need. And so what I've done is I've gone minimalistic with my lures. I'm only buying or restocking the ones that I use. The ones that I don't use, I don't need them because I don't even need them. And so in that, even that experience, I learn a lesson. I learn a really valuable lesson. Lock my car. See, this is God's promise. When we seek first the kingdom of God above everything else, live righteously, he will give us everything we need. So it's a question about ownership. It's a question about stewardship, but it's also a question about trust in our heart. Do we take him at our word or do we think that we are better financial advisors than him? So dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your goodness. Well, I want to thank you that the reason you require us to be generous in your kingdom is because it shows a level of trust that we have for you. Lord, I pray that we won't be stupid with our giving. We won't just assume, but we will be content. Lord, your word declares that each man, woman, child, should decide in their heart what they're to give. And they should be content with that. They should be happy with that. And so, Lord, I pray that there would be a contentment when it comes to our service, to our giving, to what you've placed in our hand, and we will endeavour to be good stewards because we know that the spin-off benefit of that is when we can prove to you we can trust you, uh, we, we, we can be trusted with what you place in our hand, then you actually add more to our life. It's not stolen from us. You actually add more to our life, and we appreciate that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Fantastic. Thank you for listening to today's podcast from Living Waters Church, Kyabram. Don't forget, you can find us at www.lwkyabram.com.